Our gracious God and our most loving Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to sit, as it were, at the feet of your word, the Lord Jesus, we do pray, Lord, as ever, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see Jesus for who he is, not just a person in history, Lord, but a person who reigns and intercedes that you would really open our eyes to see that, Lord, that you would incline our hearts to you in such a way that we have an affection of truth, that your word would melt our arrogance and pride and break us to the point of humility to see and save a Christ. Please help me, Lord, as I uh, take us through this to pronounce things well and to explain things well that we would all understand and leave here changed for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, Chapel Street. Good morning to friends online. I noticed Farron and Teresa there this morning, so good day to you. And also those that will listen later on the podcast. We're back in Hebrews. I love saying that. <laughs> We're back in Hebrews. One day we'll be beyond Hebrews, so to speak. But we're back in it. We're in chapter seven, so we're getting there. Uh, there are 13 chapters, so you can do the math. Uh, but it's so heavy and rich, isn't it, that we kind of have to go through it carefully and slowly. And today we get to Melchizedek, and I'm quite excited about that. Melchizedek's been mentioned several times, I think three times by the writer already in, in respect of Jesus Christ. And here he gives us the kind of fullest account of the connection between the Lord and Melchizedek. And to some, this text is an absolute mystery. It's shrouded in um, no clarity at all. And some people hold it to be a kind of mystical passage. And I want to say straight away, it's not. It's anything but a mystical passage. It's a important piece of history about a real man that somehow by type is connected to Christ. And I'm hoping by God's grace um, that we'll be able to understand that today. So we need to be careful when we read this. We need to make sure that we don't focus on Melchizedek as the primary character in this story. Melchizedek isn't the subject of this story. We can get kind of bogged down in it and think it's all about him, but he isn't the subject at all. Jesus Christ is the subject, and specifically three things about Jesus Christ. Firstly, his legitimacy as a high priest, the thing that says actually he is a high priest. And secondly, that Jesus as the high priest is in fact a great high priest, that is a better high priest than all the others. And that thirdly, because he's a better great high priest, the things that he does are better. He brings a better covenant. He goes into a better tabernacle or temple. He brings a better salvation, a real salvation, because he makes a better sacrifice and intercedes in a better way. That is the subject of this text. And in fact, if we, when we get to it, eight, chapter 8, 9, 10, we'll take that subject 
further and we'll see how the Lord is better uh, in all those things. I don't know about you, but one of the things that amazes me about the Bible is it's full of conundrums that God resolves. God sets up paradoxes, things that seem one way, but actually turn out to be another way. He sets up complex problems that he resolves because humankind can't. And we have two of those big problems today in this text. So I'm just going to go straight into them. It's been a long service already, and I've only got half an hour. Now let's see and pray that it can be done in that time. The first problem concerns sin and the law and the sacrificial model that God set up through the Levitical priesthood and the intercession that the priests make. And the problem is the working out of that law and that practice is imperfect. Establishment of that law and practice should bring perfection, but it brings imperfection. And the reason it brings imperfection is that the priests are weak and mortal and human. Just read with me again in your mind, chapter 7, verse 11 makes it clear. It says, now, if perfection had been attainable, through the Levitical priesthood, for under it, people received the law. What further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? The writer is simply saying, listen, if this priesthood and this model had worked, we wouldn't need another one. But it doesn't work. Verse 18, for on the one hand, a former commandment set aside because of its weakness and its uselessness. For the law made nothing perfect. The law is perfect. The law is holy. But it didn't make a people perfect and holy. The sacrificial model didn't make a people perfect and holy. And the writer's pretty tough here. If I was a Jew in the first century reading that, I'd see this writer thinks the law's useless scary it's a big statement that's the problem with this law and the reason it doesn't work as i've said already is that the priests the great high priests that go in to the holy of holies to make the sacrifice to intercede for people are weak and ineffective hebrews 4 and 5 as we read months ago i guess now told us that all priests were sinful. Well, before they went in, they had to make an atonement for themselves. Told us that the Levitical priests are mere mortals, they're mere men. And that when they die, or they finish their turn, they've got to be replaced by other men. So there's more high priests and more high priests and more high priests. They wear out. And the temple itself wears out. Temple's built by hands. God dwells in it, but it's not going to last forever. In fact, if I may be bold, where is it now? More than that, the Levitical priests offer animal sacrifices as payment or atonement for the sin of the people. 
The problem with the animal sacrifices is, frankly, they're not valuable enough to pay for humankind's sin. And so it has to happen again. And you might sit there and think, yeah, I know all the feasts, Day of Atonement, right? But it happens every day. Did you know that? Animals are being sacrificed every day. There's not enough. There's not enough to pay. It's ineffectual. It doesn't work in a complete and perfect way. It stays God's hand for a time. But ultimately what happens? Judgment comes. And so the priesthood was imperfect and ultimately unsuitable for the task. Perfect and unsuitable. And you'll say to me, that's okay, Sam, because Jesus Christ sorts it all out. And so he does, because in contrast, Jesus is perfect and completely suitable for the task. Hebrews 4 and 5 tells us that Jesus is not sinful. He's sinless doesn't need to go into the temple and make a sacrifice for himself because he's perfect. He's holy. He's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, the word tells us, because he suffered, because he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. It tells us in this chapter that he's immortal and so that he can hold the office of high priest forever, eternally doesn't need another one, right? He doesn't die and we need another high priest like the old ones. And it tells us that he serves or brings a better covenant. And he doesn't serve in the earthly tabernacle, does he? Serves in the heavenly temple. Where God is himself. And as I said already in number nine, chapter nine and 10, we'll learn that he brings a better sacrifice. His own blood, no animals. So there's a massive difference, isn't there, between the Levitical priests and Jesus as the great high priest. It couldn't be more different in a way, but they're fulfilling the same function, except one of them or one set of them doesn't really manage to fulfill it because they can't. And then the Lord comes along and he's able to fulfill it because he is perfect and suitable for the task so problem resolved not an issue we had a system or a conundrum which failed but another system or reality came in and solved that problem right which of course was planned right from the beginning but there is another problem second problem namely Jesus is from the wrong family to be a priest. He's not from the right family. You see, priests come from the line of Levite, or Le Levi, the Levites, the people of Levi. But more than that, they come specifically from the line within the Levites of Aaron. And Dave preached a few weeks ago on Korah, who's also a Levite, by the way. He's the cousin of i think of moses and aaron and he took it on himself to think well i'll be a priest he's a levite but he's not a descendant of aaron and so he met with a very bad end he was judged and wrath was brought down on him 
So if he, Karar, isn't allowed to be a priest and he's a Levite, then how much worse should it be for the Lord Jesus? Because he's not a Levite at all. There's no way, really, in the Levitical process, in the law that's handed down, for Jesus to be a high priest. And that's a massive problem because we've just said, but hang on, he's the great high priest. He solves the problem. He's perfect. He's suitable, right? Well, it sounds now like he isn't suitable, like he can't do this role because he's not a Levite. He's a Judahite of the tribe of Judah. You might say, well, can God not just make some kind of exception this one time? I mean, we're talking about the son of God. Surely we can just overlook the law. Well, if you change the priest to a different family, you need to change the law. And that's what the writer says in verse 12. He says, for when there is a change in the priesthood, which, by the way, they'd never been, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken, talking about Jesus, belongs to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar. It's evident that our Lord was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about serving as priests. So he can't do it. He can't take that role. He's not allowed by his own law, <laughs> by his own process that he set up. He ex sort of excludes himself. Or does he? Because that's where Melchizedek comes in. That's what Mel this story and this reality around Melchizedek is all about. Legitimizing Christ's high priesthood. Because Jesus isn't a, price, a, a priest of the Levites. He's a priest of the order of Melchizedek. He's entitled to be a priest, but from another order, from another type. And it's a really significant type. And ultimately, Hebrews shows us that the real priesthood doesn't come from the law. It comes from out with the law, although it is subject to it, as we know, because of the cross. And the thing that makes that work is what the Bible calls the power of an indestructible life, which is what Christ has and all the priests don't have. Melchizedek is the type Again, read with me. We have read it, but I'll just remind us there's big readings today. Thank you for that background, Kev. That was very helpful. Saved me about 10 minutes of my message. Bless you. So jump back, if you will. Really, the story starts in the end of six, but we'll start from chapter seven, verse one again. For this Melchizedek, whom he's spoken of, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He's first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office 
have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, Melchizedek, this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It's beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. I won't go back through the history that we've been reminded of and the, the wars and so on. But there is this picture at the end of that time when Abraham comes back with Lot of Abraham, whom the promises were made and given to, sort of offering immense respect and tithes to this man Melchizedek who appears. And he gives him a tenth of his possessions and he's blessed by Melchizedek for doing so now, I just want to um, very quickly resolve one issue around the mystery of this and that is simply this that Melchizedek is not Christ he's not Jesus he's not the same some people think that they're the same person that Jesus turns up in the Old Testament as Melchizedek and it turns up later as Jesus that's not the case Melchizedek is a man he's a mortal He's saying, well, hang on, it says that he lives forever, and I'll cover that in a moment. There are similarities, right? It's not hard to see the similarities. In fact, the Old Testament passage that was read adds another one, and that Melchizedek broke bread and wine. That's, that's pretty profound. <laughs> but also, he's, he's here as, his name means king of righteousness. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? He's also king of Salem. Do you know what Salem's called later on in history? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, king of peace. This is a picture of him living forever, but they're not the same person. Melchizedek is a mortal. He, a, an mortal, to get that right. He's not immortal. And Jesus is immortal and eternal. So it doesn't quite, quite make sense. Well, I'll come to that. But first of all, three things for us to know here. Firstly, there was a priest of the Most High God before the Levites existed. Now, Levi is the great-grandson of Abraham. He doesn't exist at this point. And so the law hasn't come. Moses hasn't come. So Aaron hasn't come. The Levitical priesthood hasn't come. The sacrificial offering hasn't come. The atonement hasn't come. The intercession of the high priest hasn't come. And there's this priest worshipping God. Worshipping the most high God. It's not like he's a priest of another God. He's the priest of God, the real God. It's the first thing. Secondly, Abraham knew that Melchizedek was a priest and was above him. It wasn't that Abraham sort of approached this king and this priest to say, hey, how are you going? You know, you're one of me. No, he recognized Melchizedek's place because he gave him those tithes. And he was blessed by Melchizedek 
Abraham didn't bless Melchizedek. Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And I love the way the writer talks about Levi being caught up in that. The priests actually, through Abraham in a sense, are giving tithes. It's a very powerful way of saying it. And the third point is this point about him being immortal or at least eternal in some way. Verse 3, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning or days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. When it says those things, it does sound, doesn't it, like he's an eternal person, that he doesn't die. What I want you to know is that the writer is simply saying this. No one knows really who his parents were, where he came from. No one knows whether he had progeny and they continued. He was just this king who was a priest of the Most High that appeared at that point in history. And we don't know where he came from. And we don't really know when he died. Didn't have a genealogy of him. And, and in Hebrew culture, you needed a genealogy to be anyone. What tribe did you come from? Who's your father? Right? I said that about the Lord Jesus. Is this really the prophet? Right? <laughs> Don't we know his dad? Joseph? It's very important. This man didn't have those things. And so it's almost like he lives forever. You might say, well, that doesn't quite make sense. Well, I want you to know that what they're really what the writer's really saying here is that his priesthood is what he's known at, known for forever. Does that make sense? That he's a priest of the Most High God and a king is what he's known for forever. Can you imagine sitting around the campfire, let's say 2000 BC, 3000. This happened 6,000 years ago, by the way, just to clarify. We're talking about him now. Imagine sitting around the campfire and someone says, oh, let me tell you a story about a king and a high priest and a priest of the most high. His name was Melchizedek. Oh, Melchizedek, the priest. See, they're remembering him for his priesthoodness. Now, I tried to come up with a kind of modern um, analogy for this, which fails fantastically, but I'll give it to you anyway. As some of you may know, I'm a big fan of Rachmaninoff, the uh, composer and pianist who died a long, 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 long time ago. He's still known for being a composer and a pianist today. He's a great pianist. He's still, no, he's dead. He's gone, but he's still known. It's almost like he kind of is living, or at least he's remembered in our living around him. It's the same with Melchizedek. He's remembered as a priest. And you might say, well, he might have been remembered way back then, but you're remembering him now. <laughs> You see, you're remembering him now as a priest and a king of the Most High. And that's what that text means. And that's the type of high priest that Jesus is. Eternal, except there's a difference. Melchizedek, we know not when, came to the end of his life and died. Jesus gave up his life and lived eternally and now makes intercession for us so that's the way that jesus is a priest a high priest in the order of melchizedek that's the link 
this picture of this king and priest in the Old Testament that somehow, because we don't have his genealogy, is still known as a king and a priest now, kind of is eternal in the story. In that way, Jesus is actually the same as a priest, but he is eternal. Do you see how it works? That's the link that the writer's making. So, even though he's not a Levite, there were priests before that that served God. And what the writer is saying is, that's how Jesus is a priest. Yes, he's not a Levite. Because he needed to be born of the tribe of Judah. The word, the word says he's a lion. I love that. Of the tribe of Judah. What, why is that? What's the, what's the line of, of Judah all about? David, who is the king. <laughs> Jesus has to be the prophet, he has to be the priest, and he has to be the king. This is how God solves the conundrum. Mankind couldn't do it. You couldn't make this stuff up. You couldn't write it. You can, mankind couldn't conceive of these amazing pieces of history and how it all works together, but only God could do that and plan that and make it happen. So that is why Jesus is legitimate and that incidentally is the end of my introduction because that's the the text is telling you that to get you to the next point and that's why sometimes we can get so bogged down in Melchizedek and mis create some mystery around him oh eternal I'm going to focus on why he's telling us that he's telling us that so we know that jesus has a right to be the high priest that he's legitimate then the writer goes on to tell us why that's significant why that's important and i'll, I'll try and run through this a little bit quicker but we'll we'll need to stop at one point he goes on to tell us in what way that Jesus is better because he's the great high priest than all the Levitical ones and even better than the Melchizedek, if you will. He does that through the next few chapters. I've mentioned it already several times, better sacrifice, better covenant, better temple. And that's all to come. But now there are three last things I want to look at here that he brings out. This is, this is the legitimacy of Jesus's priesthood, right? So you can imagine if there's a bunch of Jews complaining about it. No, let's talk about Melchizedek. Well, before you guys even existed. Right, now he's a high priest. Let's get to the point. That's what he's kind of doing here, if you will. At the end of the section, about the imperfection of the priests and the sacrifices failing in that sense, and them dying and so on, it says this about Jesus. Consequently, Right. I'll just summarize again. Because the law failed in its attempt or people's attempt in the Levitical priesthood model to purify a nation completely, because the sacrifices failed because they can never pay ultimately for sin, because Jesus is a legitimate high priest. Consequently, he, Jesus, the high priest, is able to save to the uttermost 
all those who draw near God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Save to the uttermost. What does that mean? Well, the Levitical priesthood could not save to the uttermost. You're only covered by an animal sin. Didn't last long. It wasn't enough. The payment wasn't enough. You still had sin. God was still going to judge you. But Jesus, the great high priest, is better because he can save to the uttermost. You know that that word means complete. Yes, they're the same word. Perfect. We would say absolute. That's what it means. He can save completely unto perfection. Absolutely. Isn't that good news? As, as Christians, we can't come to Christ and think, you know, he saved, my, saved me from my sin, but not that one. Those sins that I performed yesterday, you know, post the cross, after the cross, you didn't save me from them. Who's able to save you from the uttermost? There's no sin that Jesus can't save you from. It doesn't mean you shouldn't go and commit sin. That would be terrible. That would be wrong. But he can save us to the uttermost. Perfect salvation. Complete, absolute salvation. That's so comforting to me. But, did you see what it said next? Those who draw near to God through him. It's only those that come to God through Christ that he saves completely, absolutely, to the uttermost. There's a group of people that didn't come to God through Christ. There's a group of people that will come to God without Christ who will be judged because the priest hasn't paid for their sins because you've got to come to Christ to get that salvation. Yes, he saves you to the uttermost, amen. But what if you don't come to him? What if you don't draw near to him? Now, there are plenty of people in this world that claim to draw near to God, but not through Christ. And they're not. If they did draw near to God without Christ, they'd be gone. And right now, there's grace. The time will come when they are in his presence and they will be gone. They'll be sent to hell. They'll be judged for their sins and sent to hell eternally. But if you come to God through Christ, you are the person, as it were, that pays ties to the priest who intercedes before God. Do you see that picture? It's big. Jesus says, no, this man, Sam, knows me. He's come to me. My sin, my, my, my blood covers his sin completely to the uttermost. There are lots of people that claim they know the way to get to heaven. But Christ, he says, no man comes to the Father. No man can draw near to the Father except through me, through him, through Jesus. You've got to come through him. You might say, well, that's great, but how do I get there? How do I come through him? How do I draw near to him? What are you talking about? Aren't these things kind of metaphors? Well, to an extent they are. But how do I do it? Well, we've learned already about humility. 
We learn about how Christ emptied himself, found in appearance of as a man, obedient to the point of death, even death on a crossed cross, an ultimate picture of humility. That's how Christ brought himself as a sacrifice to his father. That's how we need to go to the father through the son. That's how we draw near. We don't come to God and say, hey, thanks. I know I'm a sinner, but appreciate everything you've done for me. No, we come broken, contrite. We heard it last week, crying for help. <laughs> Cry. That's how you help. I need help. I can't do this. I'm not even a Jew. Forget the Levites, right? So this is the case for most of the people here, right? Not even in that family, not even the same ethnic group. Help. That's okay. The high priest has stood. Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Lord Jesus, save me. Please help me to know you. Help me to obey you. Help me to walk. Save me. And listen, it takes humility which means you've got to kill pride, doesn't it? You can't come with humility and bring pride. It doesn't work, right? You've got to kill pride. You've got to really reckon with who you really are before God. If you don't, you won't be coming with humility. Don't come with your money. Don't come with your good deeds. What does the hymn say? Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. It's a There's a beautiful picture there of humility. Hanging on to Christ, save me, save me from my own sin. That's how you come and you beg him for mercy because without him, you will not live. But with him, you will live forever because he intercedes for you. And this is our last point. It says that Jesus always lives did you see it always lives to make intercession that's why he's a priest of the order of melchizedek this picture of eternality this picture of immortality this picture that says we don't need any more priests we've got the big one we've got the great one that's why we need the priest in the order of Melchizedek, not mort mortal ones. You see, this picture of intercession, there's a whole doctrine around intercession, and it's not preached these days. It's a great shame. I was doing some research on it and discovered that in the Puritan era, it was preached on all the time. But we kind of have let it fall away, and I'd love to, to spend more time on it on it but we don't have that time today maybe we can do it another time but i need you to understand a few things first about this when the priest goes in to make sacrifice for the people he stands between the people and the father that's his position he intercedes he's inter he's between them right and he pleads and prays for this for god to forgive people from their sins on the basis of the sacrifice that's made. That's the job. And we know already it's imperfect. Jesus interceding eternally as the Son of God always intercedes perfectly. He's always interceding and he's always doing it perfectly. That literally means 
And I, I want you to get this. This is colossal. That he prays for you continually. Amen? Prays for you continually. He doesn't stop. He doesn't wake up, as it were, with a headache one day and say, you know what? There's too many people on the list, Father. He prays for everyone at the same time continually. And he also prays for you individually continually. What a concept. It's massive. Because he's still a great high priest. You see, one of the problems is that we think that the great high priest, his role is simply to do the sacrifice and it's done. And Christ did that. He went to the cross. He died. He paid for the sin. Right? He was really dead. He rose again. Boom. Great high priestly job done. No. He's got to keep interceding. He's still the great high priest. He never stops being a great. That's what he does. I'm interceding. I'm praying. Father, 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 Father. And we, we don't know that. We don't see that. But that's what it is. Without that, you'd be separated from him. Do you know that? You might say, well, surely, you know, I'm okay. I was declared righteous. I was justified. Christ died on the cross. I mean, isn't it all okay? Not without Christ interceding, it's not. You don't go in on your merits. You don't go into heaven and say, you know, Christ died for me. I'm cool. You go into heaven because Christ said, he can come. He can come. Bring him in. I've been praying for him for the last 70 years or 80 years or 57 years, 18 years, whatever age you are. If you know christ he intercedes he continues to intercede he's pleading he's pleading for your soul do you know that that's what he's doing and that sounds odd but he's continuing to plead for your soul because you need it you need it because you fail because you sin because you're tempted, and Hebrews is about calling us partly to persevere. And I want to say to you today, persevere. You've got an interceder praying for you. And he's the best one you can get, right? The greatest high priest ever interceding for you. Father, Sam has failed again, but I died for him. Please keep him. Please save his soul. I'm covering him with my righteousness, with my death, with my blood. The good news is he doesn't fail. And only Jesus can do this, not an earthly priest. Listen, if you uh, maybe are involved in other groups that have other priests that somehow take what we call a vicarious position, it's where we get the word vicar. It's the same word as interceding. Some so-called Christian denominations have priests that perform the function of intercessory prayer on your behalf so that you will be saved. You know what denomination I'm talking about, right? That's nonsense. You don't need that anymore. You don't need the prayers of Mary. You don't need Mary to intercede for you. What the saints to intercede? I mean, blasphemy is that. The saints to intercede for you. Rotten sinners <laughs> who are fallible, broken, fallen, tempted, sinful. Like, are they going to intercede for you to God? No. Only Jesus can do that. Don't get caught up in the wrong things. Not an earthly priest. Jesus makes what is known as the high priestly prayer in John 17. We haven't got time to look at it. It's a huge passage and we are out of time. Uh, but if you get time today, I'd encourage you. I'd exhort you, in fact, to go and read it. It's a beautiful prayer. It's him kind of echoing his position as a high priest. 
before he goes to the cross. He prays for the saints. He prays for the disciples. He prays for you. And he says, Father, you give me these people, I'm paraphrasing. Uh, let's not lose them. He's praying to the Father, keep these people, keep these people. They're mine. I want to keep them. Because Jesus is pleading before the throne of God that by his grace, he will intercede for his interceding prayer and plea. You will be saved. You will never be separated from him. And without that great high priest, you will be. Your sins will be paid for, but you actually wouldn't get to heaven. That's big without the interceding prayers of Jesus so that you will never, ever be separated. We'll finish with this. Romans 8 puts it for us exactly that way. Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Do you hear it? No one's going to separate you from God because Christ is interceding. The great high priest is doing it now, right now as we speak and live and breathe. He's interceding for us. He was raised, who is at the right hand of the Father, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Tribulation? No, why not? Because Christ is interceding for us. Distress? Persecution? No. Why? Because Christ is interceding for us. Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? No, he says. In all these things, we are more than... Because Christ is interceding, not because of you, not because of me. I will conquer. No, I'm praying for him, the Lord's saying. I'm interceding. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. The great high, whose name is whoever lives and please for me. My name is written on his hands. My name is graven on his heart. And I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. Amen? Let's pray. Our God and our Father, how is it possible that your son would become a man? But for you, your grace, and your love for this world, your hatred of sin, Lord, I thank you this morning for the imperfect sacrificial model that fails just because it magnifies Jesus Christ's perfect, suitable personhood after the order of Melchizedek, and how that brings full payment 
salvation to the uttermost for those who draw near to you through Christ. And Lord, how your son continues to intercede on our behalf is amazing. I pray, Lord, that as we've heard this message this morning, we would really rejoice in your great work of the great high priest, which continues for our sake. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.